Hello there, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode one of Hypnosis Weekly. So yes, hello, a warm welcome once again. Uh, I'm really excited, this is our first edition, um, and we're off the ground and we're running, and I think I have a treat of a show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with the Norwegian-based hypnotherapist, uh, Jürgen Rasmussen, and there's some fascinating insight to be had within that. Uh, I really could have spoken to Jürgen all day. Then I'll be mentioning uh, a couple of current stories in the media uh, where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to be talking about them, offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis tends to get portrayed in the media, but also to comment on some of the content of those media stories. This week's hot debate is with our guest, uh, Jürgen, and really presupposes that those of you that are listening have some knowledge of hypnosis theory. This week we'll be looking at possible limitations of the socio-cognitive model of hypnosis that I support so much. And uh, we'll have a fact of the week before we are through at the end of today's podcast. Um, this podcast is something that um, I really want it to encompass the feeling of embracing diversity celebrating this field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate and be insightful if at all possible. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website where underneath each week's episode there's also a list of links uh, related to the interview debates and the, the stories that have been discussed in each episode. So, first of all today, let's uh, not stand on ceremony, let's roll our sleeves up and get stuck in. This week's interview, I was actually a little bit nervous prior to this discussion with Jürgen. I mean, heck, his book is entitled Provocative Hypnosis. He is known for being tenacious. He debates very well online and has friends in high places. Oh yes, his plaudits come from some of the biggest names in personal development circles. And he wanted to discuss some things that I had said in a recording with James Tripp. Uh, a couple of months ago. Um, that recording is, uh, is also included underneath this week's podcast entry on the Hypnosis Weekly website. So if you want to have a good listen to that, please do. It's got stacks and stacks of information um, and uh, uh, about, about my stance on hypnosis and so on. Anyhow, let's get into that debate. First of all, uh, the interview with Jürgen. So, as I've already discussed earlier on in today's uh, welcome to today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined today by Jürgen Rasmussen. I'm um, being based in Norway, uh, as he is, and being half Norwegian myself, I feel I have a certain unspoken respect and empathy. Um, Jürgen is author of the book and website, Provocative Hypnosis. Um, both him and his work have some incredibly impressive plaudits from some of the biggest names in related fields around the world and I'm delighted to welcome Jürgen Rasmussen. Hello Jürgen. Oh, hello Adam, that was a very generous welcome, thank you. Um, um, now 
so I mean there's so much that I want to discuss with you and so much that I want to ask you about um, um, but we're going to start right at the beginning tell us tell us a little bit you know how did you get into this field um, what, what's your background and how have you arrived at where you are now Yes, I suppose I am like a lot of folks. I don't know if you noticed it, but there, there seems to be a lot of people who are interested in NLP and hypnosis and who also do martial arts yes. uh, for, for some reason. I, I have no idea why, but but I, I grew up as a martial artist uh, from a very young age. And uh, related to that, I was interested in stuff like meditation and and um, anything that had to do with increasing performance <clears throat> you, you, using mental techniques, sports psychology. So throughout yeah. my teenage years, as I competed in martial arts, I was uh, studying that type of stuff and, and applying it to, to tournaments, you know, having kind of a, a testing ground for that. And later on, I shifted to teaching more reality-based self-defense where we you know, focus on fear management and how to verbally diffuse situations. And yeah. we create scenarios using protective gear where instead of telling someone, you know, let's practice this technique, we might create a scenario where, you know, one person's a mugger and the other person's supposed to, you know, at, at, attempt to get, you know, out of there. Yeah. And uh, more representative of real life. Yeah, it's, it's more representative of real life because most of the time, not to go off on a tangent, but most of the time when, when martial artists claim to practice self-defense, they either practice choreographed moves yeah. uh, from someone who uh, essentially attacks them the way a martial artist would and, and doesn't really attempt to hit them. Yeah. Or if they're more realistic, they will spar, you know, whether they kickbox or grapple, uh, which is good, but... You know, it, it, it lacks the reality of a scenario, of a context, of the dialogue, of the adrenaline dump, of yeah. uh, the surprise, the, the setup for the sucker punch. So we we try to make it as realistic as possible. And to give credit where credit is due, I picked up this guy from a guy in Canada called Tony Blower. Yeah. But what I what I noticed when doing these simulations over, over quite a few years was that you could get in people who had, you know, perhaps 10 years of experience in the martial arts, and once you did the scenarios, which of course are fake, but they're as realistic fake as you can get, uh, you often could not really see that they'd done any martial arts. You know, once the adrenaline hit, they would revert to wild haymakers and shitty tackles, yeah. and, uh, you know, they, they'd lose older fine motor skills, which, you know, m m much of the martial arts is based on so so we were attempting to teach kind of physical responses to very emotional situations i i got very curious as to the topic of fear management and you know how you could manage one one state in in, in very uh stressful instances and i think as a natural consequence of that curiosity i i stumbled upon nlp and the claims of tony robbins that you could change the phobia really quickly and start reading books, start attending seminars and and uh, it, it turned into a passion where I, uh, inspired by the old Bandar and Grinder books, I, as a young guy, age 21, I set up a 
a so-called impossibles practice, you know, offering a no change, no pay policy, which is an excellent way to go broke. <laughs> yes. In case anyone's wondering, but, but at the same time, it, it also is a very effective way to, to learn stuff and, yeah. and to, in quotations, Mark, you know, attempt the impossible at times. So, uh, from there, you know, my practice and my, my skills and my insights into this field has, has, has grown. Yeah, I bet. Um, um, um yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, um, um I, I mean, w with regards to, to, to the hypnosis then, um, 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 before we, before we sort of get, get really into that, um, obviously your, uh, real central part of your work is titled provocative hypnosis. Um, how, how do you define hypnosis and, and tell us a little bit of how you, how you arrived at that definition. And, um, if, if you explain it to people that ask you about it, either clients or, or, or people at events, how, how do you explain it to them? Yeah. Let, let, let me throw in something else, you know, to, to, to begin with, I was a complete hypnosis, you know, skeptic in, in yeah. quotation marks. I, I thought right. it was all, I, I thought it was all, you know, nonsense and 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 role playing. Right, that, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and and the only reason I, I I started out with some NLP courses in Norway back in '97, I think, and I went right. to the States in '98. Yeah. Uh, to, to train NLP and, and, and the only reason why I went to the hypnosis courses were because they were part of you know the offering but I thought you know this 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 is just this is just silly stuff and 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 the one thing that changed my mind around it was that there was this other guy at the course who also seemed to have the same attitude as I have yeah and um I didn't do the stuff with him, but, but, but I saw him unable to say the number four. And, right. and I, I could see that he was really struggling. I mean, had it been anyone else, you know, I probably would have maintained my old views that it was just nonsense. But, but since it was him, it, it, it kind of alerted me to, you know, something's going on here. You know, something, you know, there, there might be something to it. Yeah, and, and of course, then I developed a, a a zeal of finding out well, what is it, you know, and how does it work, and is this real, and 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 I started doing doing experiments. So 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 that's kind of how I uh, got into it. Um, in terms of clients, you know, hypnosis is illegal here in Norway unless you're a psychiatrist, psychiatrist or medical doctor, or I think right. dentist. Uh, it's it's a really you know, in in the law, they they describe that it's I don't quite remember verbatim in, in my head, but it's something to the effect of you know it's 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 not allowed to put in put someone into a sleep like state where they're you know powerless and and you know under your control and, and where they don't remember anything afterwards. And I remember right. reading it, thinking you know that 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 sounds like the job description of a really unserious bartender. You know? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not hypnosis. So, so I, I have often, you know, not used the term hypnosis that much, and don't necessarily. I use the term hypnosis when we do regression 
I shouldn't call it regression, but but but, but regression hypnosis. Other than that, than that, I have a tendency to to not that often use the term. Yeah. Uh, for me, when I describe hypnosis to clients, I I think that the the the, the kind of definitions that Herbert and David Spiegel seem uh, accurate and useful in terms of describing it as a very focused state of awareness where where the components seem to be absorption dissociation and, and suggestibility yeah uh, that seems like a functional uh, definition and I, I often you know elaborate a little bit on the points absorption and, and yeah. association and, and suggestibility it's interesting that you mention um, Herbert and David Spiegel um, because I, I suppose as far as academics are concerned um, um, that they're probably as close as, as anybody can get to being um, to giving a, a good quality academic um, explanation of, 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 of a state theory in some respects um um, um, and um um, you know it's interesting that we're going to be discussing that later on and uh, part of our discussion um um, um, just tell me you know uh, as well as them or or or, i mean you're more than welcome to mention them again of course Uh, um, uh, who who are your major influences in this field and and what what are the are there any books or authors that have taught you more than others or teachers that have been the most influential upon you there are there are quite a few i i think my main strength is curiosity i'm willing to learn from pretty much anyone and I, i i have this habit you know where where I probably read more books by people I fundamentally disagree with uh, than the other way around. That's whether interesting. That be, That's whether interesting. that be political, you know, literature or other literature. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember just, just as a funny, you know, side note. Uh, a few years ago, I was spending a little bit of time on on this uh, NLP forum, where there was this guy who would you know, get kind of nasty with pretty much everything I wrote and we would disagree on pretty much everything. Yeah. And, and he recommended his favorite book, which was the master and his emissary by a guy called Ian McGilchrist. It's it's, it's a book that I really, really like philosophically. So I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to buy that book just for the reason that this guy who seems to disagree with me on everything, you know, has it as his favorite book because he, he, he has a very different way of looking at the world than I do. And it ended up becoming one of my favorite books too, but cool. pro- probably for very different reasons yeah. than than him, and probably based on you know different reasoning and different premises. But but still, uh, so in 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 terms of influences, they're very diverse in, in in the sense of hypnosis. I would say my main mentor in this field has been John Grinder. We we had a very close. Uh, collaborative kind of relationship for yeah. about five or six years yeah <clears throat> where we would you know email several times a week and i would ask him questions and he would pretty much answer them and 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 give me you know assignments and and uh, proposed things to do and i i think he liked it because i would genuinely challenge him which a lot of people don't and i and he sensed that i was willing to experiment and and do stuff so yeah. i got a lot out of that 
Uh, I mean, I, I, I've, I've I've read your book, um, um, and and the and the forward and the references to John, and I've also read some things online, um, with regards to 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 the way John has written about you, and and it seems like um, um, there, there's a real fondness in that relationship, um, and between the two of you, um, I, you know, I, I've also seen you debate and discuss online as well, and 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 your kind of tenacity and the, the curiosity that you spoke about, I think, comes across really, really well. Um, um, you know, certainly I see that. Um, 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 is that something? Is that something that you think really helped develop that relationship? Yeah, I think. I think you know the first time I saw him, uh, not the first time, but 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 the second time. You know, uh, he he would go up on stage and <clears throat> and say something to the effect of all beliefs being limiting and that that he didn't really have any beliefs. And of course, I shot back. You know, do you believe that? And and <laughs> yeah. and, and my <laughs> and, which which kind of made him smile. You know, and he had that. Oh, you know, he he wants to play. You know, that this is fun. And a lot of teachers. Not going to put John on a pedestal in that way because we, we also have a lot of disagreements. But but a lot of teachers say that they want feedback and challenges, but their behavior doesn't quite reflect it in real time. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a solid thing with me and John was that you know he really seemed to appreciate all the challenges that I threw his way. Yeah. And and another thing too, which I really think kind of deepened that bond was that you know a few times when he came to Oslo, he would invite me to do you know like tag team sessions. Yeah. Uh, and he also you know contacted me once and said you know Jurgen, do you have any impossibles for me? I'm gonna I'm gonna kick your ass and you know show you how it's done. <laughs> and and in kind of a fun way. And and he actually took on a couple of clients and he. He, he met them at the Grand Hotel in Oslo, and you know, apparently came down the stairs in his ugly, ugly tracksuits. You know, <laughs> she's kind of become famous for it. Yeah. And 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 you know, there there was no money involved. You know, it it, it was just to share. You know, I'm gonna to I'm gonna do, do some, this or, to or do some good this. work. And and I, you know, it, you know, ideology or theoretical backgrounds aside, uh, I kind of doubt that many big names would have done that you know perhaps a few would but I, I i don't think that most would so so those are aspects about john that i yeah well that, that that's a really lovely insight you know i'm I think very often um, some of the bigger names in these fields as well you know you you kind of hear myth and myths and and legends about people and you can never be too sure what's what's true and what isn't and so on i always find it really interesting to encounter people that that, that really met milton erickson rather than yes. people that have told me stories that they've heard four times four times well that, that have been that have been sent down the line four times almost like chinese whispers um i'm yes. um, so it's lovely to hear you know of people's first-hand direct experience of someone yeah, that's, and, that's and, very and, real you know, a, a lot of people have asked me you know what is it that you've gotten from john that's you know been, been the most useful for you and and my honest answer would have to be to to see him fail repeatedly, right? And, and you, you know, but before yeah. but, but before meeting him, of of course, I intellectually knew that he didn't always succeed with with people he worked with, and you know that that he'd have to you know stumble a lot of the time. But it's it's something to it's one thing to intellectually know it. it it's something else to 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 appreciate it and 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 have that 
you know experience of it and and seeing him not succeed seeing him strike out seeing him work with people when nothing really happened be fallible yeah to to me was really liberating uh and and that i think would be something that those of us who teach perhaps you know could offer more of because i think with especially many of the hypnosis and NLP courses being done, you know, you have seminar instructors who scan the room for the most responsive subjects, you know, who can blame them, you know, and, and, and the demos look really impressive. Yeah. Uh, and everything seems to work. And, and then the student, you know, gets back into the world and he has no reference for the possibility that his instructor might not necessarily always succeed and or might not have a reference for initially succeeding and then being able to kind of troubleshoot and make things happen or not make anything happen and be honest and graceful about that or get a partial results or a mild results which 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 could be you know which which could be really useful as well so uh, yeah absolutely I, i think a lot of people um you know imagine that uh, that their trainers and teachers are just perfect perfect therapists and anything other than perfection themselves um is is a flaw of their own as opposed to being you know a a, a, a sort of inherent part of of what we do yes we did actually a, a couple of the courses that i did i uh, in, in the UK, I, I would do all these demos and we would have a forum. This is just an idea for anyone who, who does courses. Uh, we would have a forum where everybody who I had done change work with would report over the next few months what the actual changes were or were not. And, and the participants could see how I followed them up. Right. Uh, you know, which I think is, is, is a valuable strategy because one really, yeah. kind of one kind of pesky habit that I developed after going to, to many seminars was that I would make a point to get to know, you know, many of the demo subjects and get their email or, or, or phone. And I, I would actually call them later, you know, three months later and go, you know, this is Jerry from the seminar, you know, what's up? And I, I, <laughs> I noticed that a lot of what looked impressive on stage and a lot of what people thought were successes, you know, really weren't. And unless you knew the person or bumped into the person or, or did what I did, which few people seem to do, people wouldn't really know. And, and in, in that case, I think there's this kind of deception in the field that's kind of deception, kind of self-deception, kind of this collective, uh, you know, don't ask, don't tell uh, policy. So, but anyways, back to the influences, of course, you know, Bandler and, and Grinder. Yeah. And you know, in later years, I've really studied the work of Milton Erickson. So, yeah. so I, I, I think I have a pretty kind of strong NLP slash Ericksonian orientation. But then I also started looking at, uh, you know, work of people like like Dave Ellman. I used to consult Steve Parkhill a bit, who does a yeah. lot of work with diseases. I have no idea if he has the successes that he claims to have, but. But my orientation is, is more let's assume that he does and, and test it. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, my my way of learning has been to see clients succeed, not succeed, partially succeed, 
and then go, okay, who's succeeding here? And then go on the internet, you know, ask people, look for sources and, and experiment. So uh, that's how I kind of got into the Herbert and Spiegel, Herbert Spiegel and David Spiegel. You know, the, the, the book, The Inner Source and Transcend Treatment were yeah. huge for me back in perhaps 2003 or four. Uh, and what really, you know, what really got me with those books was because I, I had come from that, you know, strong Ericksonian, you know, everyone's hypnotizable, you know, just be flexible in your approach. Yeah. And, and, and the idea that people varied in their capacity and that you'd better kind of just design your interventions based on their hypnotic capacity. For me at that time, that was huge. So, so that yeah. was hugely influential on me. Uh, one you know, very common uh, source that we obviously have, uh, since you teach uh, cognitive behavioral uh, hypnotherapy, yeah. I've really studied the work of Albert Ellis, his rational emotive behavior yeah. therapy uh, system, and found a lot of use for it. So yeah. sometimes these days, if people ask me, you know, like philosophically, or, you know, what do you do? It's very often using NLP slash hypnotic, you know, tools in the service of the type of philosophies that Ellis yeah. uh, well, often championed in terms of, you know, the, the masturbation, you know, uh, yeah. teaching people how to reduce their their demands into into wants, teaching them to, to rate their behaviors but not their selves, you know, yeah. these types of things. Yeah, good. Um, um, I mean, Albert Ellis was quite a provocative person as well. Yes. Um, um, which I think marries marries up quite well with um, with perhaps some of the elements of your own work. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 very useful, and, and of course, you know, I've also studied the more academic, you know, the, the work of, you know, from Sarbin and White to Barber to a right. lot of Nicholas Spanos's work, uh, the more socio-cognitive yeah. uh, uh, type approaches, and and. You know, I, in terms of like the debate, you know, I'm really much in favor of uh, the, the the socio-cognitive angle, and I think that that people who work in this field should know it. I, I just suspect that it's it's not a like a complete map. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and, and, and and yeah, and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a good a good discussion about that. Um, um I know when. I know when we spoke before as well, um, um, just one of the things you said earlier just, just reminded me. Um, I'll, I'll put a link, um, I'll put a link under, um, um, in the website under this edition because people can go and see some, some videos of you working, can't they? Yes, um, yes, I think yes. um, um, your, your, your colleague um, Wayne Marsh uh, took some videos when you did some, some work over here. So um, we'll, we'll get some links. Um, Jürgen was just mentioning some of the videos earlier and it just made me think of that. We'll get some links and we'll put them up here so you can have a good look. Because I've seen some of those clips and there's some really, really great stuff being done in there. Um, some really impressive applications. Um, and and speak, speaking of which, um, Jürgen, give me an idea of some of the more impressive applications that you've, that you've directly witnessed as far as hypnosis is concerned. Uh, that is a really interesting question. Uh, in terms of witnessed or directly done slash uh, experienced. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, either, either. Either, yeah. Um, let me see. 
person, I, I mean, in terms of the work I've I've done myself, um, I think what kind of baffles me the most, and which I think is 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 the most cool, yeah. is probably the work that I've done with people who have allergies and asthma and right, migraines yeah. and you know chronic pain. Yeah. Um, especially as a result of of quote-unquote regression work I, I i don't like to use the word regression because we both know that it's not really regression but so sure. you know affect bridge memory reconstructive work would, would would probably be a more accurate term for it sure um so, so this is I, where I, I would by... have to say in, in in terms of in terms of uh you know, I've I've had some, you know, and, and these might be fluke accidents too. You know, yeah. uh, I had a guy once whose epilepsy disappeared after, you know, work we did, and he had complete amnesia not only for the session but for us having worked on the issue. We'd worked on other issues in the past. Right. I met him at a restaurant a year later. That that to me was was wild uh <laughs> i'll be careful to claim a cause and effect relationship sure. on it too because it could be a random fluke sure. i i saw a guy once uh this might be the wildest case i've had myself i i saw a guy once with a brain tumor who who his his daughter said that look you know he he has virtually no short-term memory uh, he can you know, if he reads a comic, you know, a few seconds later, he won't remember it. He can't really cover a conversation, you know. And she was kind of alternative, you know, would you see my father and see if you could do something? And, of course, my, you know, sense would say no. <laughs> How could you do anything? Yeah, yeah. So quite. I, you know, his wife brought him into my door and I met him with a handshake interrupt. You know, he, he didn't really know who I was. I, I just met him that way. And I I set up, you know, and I don't really believe in a unconscious as an entity either. But, but you know, let's use the frame. I, I set up finger signals yeah. with his unconscious, which were really strong and, and really solid. And did, you know, something to the effect of a end-step reframe and, and kind of negotiated a deal where, where he would heal this. And... After the session, you know, he asked me, "Who are you?" I mean, I know, no. <laughs> so, so he, he he went to the hospital. Can't quite remember how much later, but but the doctors were stunned. The, the tumor was like seventy percent reduced, and and there hadn't been any medical treatment. Now, again, this this could be a complete fluke. I'm I'm, I'm very very of, of of saying you know this this kind of cost that. Yeah. Uh, I saw him one more time for a follow-up at this time uh his wife seemed a lot more negative in terms of him coming the signals i got were like very flaky i asked him you know did you want to stop which we did and the, the tumor started growing back and not long thereafter he died oh. um so it's 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 not a a happy ending, you know. That there's always a chance, which the skeptics could say that what we did really was something that happened at the same time. So there's no correlation, yeah. which you know I, I'm happy to accept as re as really well could be the case. Nevertheless, it, it was a really interesting experience. 
Yeah. Um, outside of that, I would say evoking orgasms by suggestion has, has been, <laughs> has been a, a, a really fascinating experiment. And in terms yeah. of the most impressive stuff, uh, which I haven't done myself, I think would be the people who go through serious surgeries and, and amputations uh, using hypnosis as, as kind of their, their sole tool of, of pain management. And yeah. You also have some of these documented cases in the medical literature of, um, of for example, that English doctor who who worked with this guy who had that genetically, you know, skin disease. Long name, can't remember, but he thought it... He thought it was warts, which is probably why he gave it a shot. Yeah. And and they had, I think, a, a, a pretty. You you probably have heard about the case or read about it. Uh, I don't know if he was able to replicate it later. I can't quite remember, but. but oh well, we'll 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 dig out um a link and add that uh, add that as well. I, I mean, I, I I absolutely agree. Some of the, what what I also find is that the, the things which which appear some of the more impressive applications of hypnosis as well that the, the, the stuff that really really sort of you know uh, for, for a while um, within my own career I found um, quite baffling you know some of the stuff with regards to skin skin conditions and and pain relief and so yes. on um, um, actually seems to be some of the stuff which which I have since found slightly easier to elicit than, than things that people might think are more basic, you know. Yes. Um, 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 give me someone who wants to reduce their pain um, with with fibromyalgia over uh, a, a, a non-smoker day after day, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yes. um, um, but, yeah, 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 I, I, I really hear you with some of that. Um, um, it, it, the, 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 there is also another element which I should throw in in terms of being aware of a lot of the sociocognitive uh, perspective on this, which I also think is accurate, is that some of the things that I previously attributed to you know, hypnosis as being the answer or the only possible explanation, I've, of course, in later years realized that that may not be the case. One, one example of this, and this is very anecdotal, but John Sarno, if you heard about him, is yeah. very famous for his success in terms of working with, with chronic pain. Uh, probably also due to having had quite a few famous clients, such as John Stossel and Howard, Howard Stern. But I've used Sarno's technique on my own back pain, and, and, and it's worked. And, uh, and one, one thing there, because that, that, that kind of blew my mind, where, where I realized that, that Sarno was helping a lot of people deal with chronic pain just by information. You know, he, he's, he's not a hypnotherapist, he, he doesn't do any inductions, there's no like suggestions in, in, in the way we often think of suggestions. Yeah. It's basically just a lecture and a talk and it's based on, on insight, you know, getting what's really going on, at least according to Sarno. And, and a lot of people change decades of, of, of chronic pain. And I've had, I've had the same experience with clients too, who were not very hypnotizable and who did not seem to respond well to hypnotherapy, but who I still could get with 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 Sarno's 
uh, paradigm. Even John Stossel, who's a very famous uh, news anchor and, and consumer reporter, yeah. uh, has, has been to, to hypnotherapy and said that he did not respond to hypnotherapy at all. Yeah. But he had had decades of chronic back pain and, and saw Sarno once, and his back pain has been gone ever since, which is, he was so impressed that he did this ABC 2020 thing on Sarno's work. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I'm, I'm... But I find that an interesting thing to say, um, um, this idea of not responding to hypnotherapy, um, almost like it is something to respond to as opposed to something to engage with. Yes. Um, I, I sometimes wonder how it's presented, you know, yes. um, 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 I, I get the impression sometimes that there, that, that there are professionals out there that almost frame and explain hypnosis in terms of something that's being done to you as yes. opposed to something that we collaboratively do together, which, yes. heck, um, um, is, is, is going to be part of um, part of our discussion coming up. Um, yeah. Because of where we're at with time, Jürgen, um, I just want to offer up a really big thank you. Um, I, I, you know, as we said when we've when we've spoken before, um, I really hope that we can we can get you to come back and speak um, um, uh, uh, another time as well, so that we can get into lots more of your approach and your ideas. Um, but we'll be right back with Jürgen Rasmussen in just a few moments. <laughs> So there'll be more from Jürgen shortly uh, when him and I have our debate, our discussion. Um, but this week's Hypnosis in the News, uh, links to all of these articles that I'm discussing and talking about will be uh, and are included uh, on the website for you to go and have a read and have a look if you like. Um, first up this week, um, the titled article, Michael Jackson was quizzed under hypnosis. Uh, and this is a story about uh, Yuri Geller saying that he hypnotized Michael Jackson to quiz him about child abuse allegations. Um, the reason I raise this is because it's one of a number of articles that uh, tend to pop up in the media that proliferates uh, this notion that hypnosis somehow guarantees veracity of, of memory. Um, and Yuri Geller has publicly stated that he hypnotized Michael Jackson and, you know, it, it's been shown and it's generally uh, agreed upon in academic circles and with, with a lot of research to support it that hypnosis does not, in fact, guarantee veracity. You can lie when you are hypnotized. It's no longer, I mean, hypnosis is no longer permitted as use of eyewitness testimony around the world for that reason. Um, secondly, you know, science shows that memory is reconstructive. Uh, memories are formed and flavoured by the person that we are today, and we view and perceive our memories through a, a, a filter, if you like, of the person that we are today. Um, so m my stance here, and the reason I mention this, is nothing to do with accepting or disputing charges against Michael Jackson, not at all. It's simply suggesting that Yuri Geller and the media reporting on this story are really getting a hypnosis a bit wrong. Now then, a story I'm a bit loath to include um, is, is a story about a, 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 a hypnotherapist, or, or rather the, the article title is Hypnotherapist in Sexual Assault Trial Tells Court I Am a Healer, Not a Feeler. Come on. The, uh, now, the man in this, um, in, in this news story 
is uh, was not qualified as a hypnotherapist. So I don't understand why the article in the Yorkshire Post feels the need to refer to him as a hypnotherapist. I mean, why refer to him as that? He's not employed professionally as a hypnotherapist. He's got no qualifications in hypnotherapy, according to the article. He had performed in a pub and had been asked to hypnotise a lady in a beer garden. Um, um, and, 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 and this is the thing, you know, I think sometimes the words hypnotherapist tend to offer up good headlines and make for um, uh, quite evocative titles and thus it gets used. Um, and that was my only issue with that particular story. Finally this week, um, a, a really lovely case study that uh, was published in the International Journal of Experimental and Clinical Hypnosis um, is, uh, is by Gary Elkins, PhD. Um, I've written about uh, uh, other studies and, and in particular a, a recent study of Gary Elkins which examined reducing hot flashes in menopausal women using hypnosis. It featured in my own literature review of my own PhD as it equipped participants with self-hypnosis skills. Um, the only issue, the only slight issue I have with the article um, finding its way into a lot of the media is that it is just a case study. I mean, it's a brilliant case study. The uh, I'm going to discuss the outcomes in just a moment, but it's a single case study with no control to measure against. Um, um, it offers up some incredibly encouraging results, though, and hopefully could encourage further research um, uh, and, and people could build upon this preliminary case study. And... Um, a 67-year-old man had his uh, uh, hot flashes reduced greatly. Um, um, he was getting the hot flashes as a result of prostate cancer surgery and showed a drastic decrease, not just in the hot flashes, but also improvement in his sleep quality. Um, um, and this study was done in line with Baylor University. And it, and it just shows and um, um, amplifies what, uh, what, what some of the really impressive things that can be done with hypnosis. And I thought that was a story that's well worth going and having a look at and an explore of. Uh, links to all these stories are listed under this week's podcast entry uh, on www.hypnosisweekly.com. Next up then is this week's debate between myself and Jürgen. Um, just to give you a bit more detail, as you may have gathered a few weeks ago, I was interviewed by James Tripp about my own stance on hypnosis, and we discussed in depth the socio-cognitive and cognitive behavioural models of hypnosis that are so dear to me. Uh, we've added that interview under this very episode at the Hypnosis Weekly website if you'd like to listen in. In that interview, I detail the main components of those models, why I believe they're so important. After the interview, uh, Jürgen Rasmussen posted a comment, having listened to it, posted a comment suggesting that to commit too fully to this model might be ignoring other important contributions. And so he welcomed some discussion with me about that. This week's discussion here on Hypnosis Weekly then is all about that and a number of reference points and links, like I've said a couple of times already this episode, are added to the uh, entry on the Hypnosis Weekly website. First up then, here is that discussion. 
Okay, we're back with Jürgen Rasmussen. Um, um, as is going to be central part of, uh, of this podcast each week, um, and we're going to have a discussion and a debate um, in a respectful, friendly, enjoyable manner. And, and our aim with these is always to, to inform and educate and, and highlight. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I, was, I was interviewed and had a, a recorded conversation, a live recorded conversation with um, um, our, our revered peer, um, James Tripp. And, um, I'm, I, and I was talking about um, my, my favoured model and conceptualization of hypnosis, which is the, the social cognitive, uh, socio-cognitive perspective of hypnosis. Um, and, and, and you were going to tuned in and listened and um, and just said, look, you know, too, too much of a, a, a strong stance in that direction could potentially be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so I thought it would be nice and, and useful for people, um, especially people that are tuned in and, and seen Jürgen's comments um, to to. To, to, to engage with this discussion um, with Jürgen um, um, and and to have him you, you know give us give us some 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 alternative perspective and potentially look to fill some gaps that are highlighted so um Jürgen I know first of all then um, um, just 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 explain a little bit about what what potentially some of your own critique was, and um, 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 you know some of the some of the benefits of perhaps not overlooking you know entirely the state trait discussions. I would be very happy to. Um, first of all, let me say that that I I'm I don't believe in utopian. You know answers or, sure. or, or 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 that any one model will ever provide a you know complete full understanding of, of hypnosis yeah and i am very much in favor actually of the socio-cognitive model and and think that it it explains a lot yeah and at the same time i think that that it doesn't seem quite justified to to throw the, the, the state slash trade model completely out of the window. Uh, so I, I, I can bring up some arguments and, and yeah. some personal experiences I've had and, and yeah, some please. science seems to suggest that you, you could kind of throw in what, whatever you want to do. But yeah. one of the things that I've done the most, uh, just to start with, with personal experiences, direct yeah. experience, one of the tools that I've used the most has been what's called regression hypnotherapy which of course is not really regression people aren't really regressing but but they're reconstructing uh memories and when doing that i've noticed that when those sessions are successful they have a tendency to be a lot more successful if what they reconstruct and what comes up for them is different than what they consciously expected. Right. So when, when, when they come out of the experience, they'll be, you know, I, I was really surprised that that memory appeared. You know, I, I hadn't thought about that in 30 years, or I had no idea that that was related. So yeah. it, it's just, it's just a, you know, I can't prove this scientifically, but it's just a constant observation over time that 
when what appears to, pe to, to, to people, you know, either the emotions that come up or the memory reconstructs that come up seem, seem to be differently than, than what they consciously expected, uh, the results have a tendency to be better, in my experience, at least with topics such as allergies and phobias, than when they consciously and deliberately select some memory to, to work on. Right. Which, which to me kind of suggests, you know, disassociation as, as a possible uh, explanation. And I'd like yeah. to throw in there a... With, a, with this kind of less cognitive rationale. Yeah. I, you know, just written a new book here where, where, where I kind of uh, differentiate between what I would call, you know, top-down hypnotic work and bottom-up yeah. hypnotic work. Where, yeah. you know, where... Where top down, you could say, okay, you're you're instructing someone to deliberately use their imagination and get absorbed into something to the point where it's as real as real, uh, and where where bottom up hypnotic phenomena could could be where people, you know, both the so-called therapist and and the 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 client might be surprised and, and kind of baffled by what phenomena appears and where they at least don't have the sense that they're consciously deliberately uh, doing it and <clears throat> there, there's a yeah. really interesting experiment by a guy called Miller from 1986 I'll just read a couple of short paragraphs and yeah. you can comment on it yeah which which to, to, to me kind of suggests an explanation more along these lines so it says here, Miller did a very, very interesting experiment with the intent to find out if high-level cognitive work was required to produce hypnotic analgesia. If high-level cognitive work was required to produce hypnotic analgesia, then that should diminish the available resources for performing a demanding cognitive task at the same time. This should be the case even if the cognitive effort is hidden from consciousness by an amnesia-like barrier. However, if instead suggestion activates a subsystem for pain control through dissociation, this should not be the case. 18 highs and 18 lows were selected for experiments, combining pain due to arms circulating in ice-cold water and cognitively demanding reading assignments. Participants were either hypnotized or administered suggestions for hypnotic analgesia or instructed to use various cognitive strategies they had just learned to cope with cold pressure pain. Both the cognitive strategies and hypnotic suggestions were a lot more effective for highs than yeah. it was for lows. This is interesting, of course. Yeah. There, there were no, also no difference between the cognitive strategies and hypnotic analgesia for the high. However, the test showed that hypnotic analgesia didn't interfere with the reading test, while the cognitive strategies did. Performance declined about 35% during the first pre-treatment immersion in the cold presser. In addition, for both low and highs in the cognitive strategy condition, there was an extra drop of about 30% in their reading performance from pre- to post-treatment immersion in the cold presser. Now, sure. let's, let's return to the hypnotic analgesia group. The lows yeah. reported just about an 8% decrease under the same conditions. Remarkably, the, the highs showed a 10% increase yeah, in their cool. reading performance. This strongly suggests that hypnotic analgesia does not depend on high-level cognitive resources and is due to dissociation. I, I find that experiment really fascinating. What, what's your take? Yeah, um, um, I mean, 
a couple of things I would I would say. You know, certainly th throughout my own um, review of literature, and um, I mean in particular with regards to pain. One of the interesting things about pain is that more and more academic research suggests that that that, that hypnotizability is not necessarily correlated to um, to to. to to responsiveness to the, the the intervention necessarily, with the exception of pain. So, yes. um, um, you know, more and more it would seem that that um, high hypnotizability does become um, correlated to 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 positive effects as far as pain is concerned. Um, yes. And one of the interesting things about pain as well is that the, the, the way it gets measured a lot of the time is, of course, through self-report. The vast majority of the time that it's it's measured as through self-report as opposed to um, having a really objective measurement of pain a lot of the time. Um, and so I, I, one potential explanation could be that, that when people believe they've been um, really zonked out, so to speak, and have... Um, I don't know whether expectation levels were measured within this particular study across both, um, as they are with many studies, um, um, expectation levels could potentially have been measured across the both groups um, um, and and but because a lot of people do have high expectation of hypnosis um, regardless of what they know about it sometimes that can be attributed as well um, um, you know I think um, um, again you know that the kind of involvement um, of a cognitive strategy um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know whether, um, you know, a, a socio-cognitive perspective of hypnosis is not just purely, um, 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 I wouldn't say that it's just purely a kind of, um, um, well, what I would say is that, 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 that when someone hypnotizes themselves or engages in hypnosis uh, um, um, in a way framed by a socio-cognitive perspective, um, I think there can still potentially be um, um, a different response to just purely using um, a, a cognitive strategy. Um, so, you know, I think, um, I, I think it's a very, very valid point. And it's very difficult to put your finger on, isn't it? Because, you know, um, it's difficult to work out a lot of the time and it's difficult to agree upon what, 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 what hypnosis is. Um, yes. um, and and for that reason, you know whether we can whether we can look at um, um, studies that would suggest that suggest different things and different relationships with regards to the interventions um, is, is is a very interesting point. Um, um, there's a there, there, there's a really interesting uh, lecture on YouTube called Mind-Body Interactions by David Spiegel. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but yeah. it's, 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 it's a pretty good lecture. And one of the things that, that, that he points out is that uh, in a number of studies on hypnosis uh, and pain, uh, placebo seems to be, you know, pl pl placebo and hypnosis, to, to frame it that way, seems about equally effective with, with the low hypnotizables. Yeah. But that, but that with the high hypnotizables, there there, there seems to be a, a big difference uh, on the yeah. topic of pain. That, that that hypnosis is 
you know, more effective than, than placebo for the highly hypnotized people, but not for the lows. That, that, that is also a very, very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I, you know, w one thing I'm kind of considering is, you know, could there be, because if, if you look at, for example, chronic pain, it seems pretty obvious that, that a lot of people who might not be that good hypnotic, you know, subjects, could still get pain relief by going into a John Sarno lecture or, you know, through insight or reading his books. Yeah. Uh, perhaps there are different mechanisms involved when those people obtain the pain relief than when the highly hypnotizable folks sure. uh, obtain the pain relief, even though uh, the, the end result, you know, diminished pain might be the same. The, the, the most interesting place though, and, and, I probably shouldn't be talking that much about it since I've never been part of a surgery or, or, or done it. But, but, but for me, it's, you know, the people who do major surgeries, you know, with, with hypnosis. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, but one of the things one of the things I, I'm interested in, I'm also interested in is um, I'm, I understand dissociation. I think um, I'm dissociation um, um, theory it can can absolutely also feature within a socio-cognitive explanation. Um, um, I also wonder, with its direct application to pain, how much a pain expert might might draw some parallels to to distraction techniques, or um, with when it comes to dissociation, and whether whether there are some parallels to be drawn between dissociation and and distraction, because I know that distraction has been an age-old way of people alleviating pain for example i mean it's not it's not always easy to to prolong and certainly with hypnosis um amplifies the ability to be dissociated or distracted for a lengthier period of time but i'd be interested to know if 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 there was a relationship between the two perhaps but but i think my, my key point is that um um whereas um, a socio-cognitive perspective would probably even say, you know, dissociation is is probably one explanation of what we might call a perception of depth, you know, rather than, you know, because people ask me very often, well, if, you know, if hypnosis is not a state and you're talking about deep, what is it they're going deeper into if they're not going deeper into a state, Adam? Right. And, and so I'll say, well, you, you you know, it's 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 not that they're going into anything. You know, it's not a pejorative type of term. You know, they're not going under, so to speak, but they're becoming either more absorbed in the role of of hypnotist, they're uh, uh, in, of hypnotic subject rather. They're becoming more absorbed, or they're becoming more focused, or more dissociated. Um, nice. And 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 the kinds of ways that that I represent dissociation almost as a deepener. Is, is things like um, the classic um, Stoic process you um, written about in Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, this idea of leaving your body behind um, on the planet and, 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 and moving up above it and seeing things from a different perspective, for example, a very practical um, way of being dissociated, um, which, which again, I suppose some people may well consider as being um, almost like a form of distraction, um, but but that you know this dissociative element, I think um, um, for me doesn't sell me on a state explanation because I think it is still very very compatible with 
um, um, a, a socio-cognitive perspective. Um, I, I think, you know, a socio-cognitive perspective doesn't just mean that we, we, we engage in, you know, really strong conscious involvement necessarily. People can still be dissociated or, you know, extremely relaxed or, or, or whatever. Um, um, but just, just you know, but, but, but it's not necessarily deemed um, a, a, a completely altered, unique state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how would you, let me give you two, I think I may have used these to... Yeah, 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 I, I really want to hear this because... Um, but I, I, just to make a contrast, and yeah. I think both of these experiences are hypnotic, I, I had a client, uh, a bulimia client, a few years ago, who, you know, and I did not use a hypnosis frame with her. You know, I'd worked with a friend of hers and she knew me as a psychotherapist pretty much. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I often have a tendency to use hypnotic phenomena, you know, kind of on the spot. If, if I see people spontaneously associating into something or, or give me some identity statement, which, you know, their nonverbals seem to, to suggest that, you know, this is a loaded, a loaded thing. It's kind of a get, you know, a gift to utilize. So, so she, she said something to the effect of, you know, I can't even imagine letting go of bulimia yeah, because it's been a part of me for so long. Yeah. And, and she really kind of leaned on it, you know, like, like it was like a significant identity thing. It was who she was. So, so I spontaneously asked her, you know, is there anything that's been a part of you that's an even deeper part of you and and has been there longer than the bulimia mm. and what she, what she ended up with, with with a little bit of coaching from me was was her name yeah and and, and i told her i said you know could, could you get could you ever imagine you know letting go of your name and she was like of course not so what i did was i went directly into a name amnesia piece and to give some credit where credit is due you know our mutual friend james tripp i used his uh his format for for name amnesia yeah and it worked beautifully and she was kind of stunned you know <laughs> that her that her name was gone and uh i i kind of suggested to her you know if, if, you, if, if you can you know give yeah, up absolutely name, if, if if you can you do know, something what, yeah, you know, if you can do something and, and like that, that was, then yeah, and 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 that wasn't of course the only thing we did, but it was such a deep and profound no. experience for her. Yeah, I, I think that was like really the, the the foundation for everything we later did. Now, I I would label that as a hypnotic experience in the sense that you know it it seemed non voluntary for her. You know, at the same time, it was a cognitive strategy. She was imagining, you know. That her name was fading off into the distance and you know getting actively and deliberately engaged into it sure so so i, I would call that like a a a top-down approach you know yeah i understand that uh you know a, a few years ago I, I i wayne marsh you know who's a friend and who's promoted a few of my seminars in the uk yeah uh, I, I work with his stepson you know in, in front of the audience you know for a vision thing and he was such a profound hypnotic subject, and I, I, I suggested that, you know, he had basically just had a massage, you know, in, in, in the massage chair for for 20 minutes, and and uh, and he, he he came out of it, you know, in quotation marks, and 
completely amnesia, amnesia for us having worked on it at all. And later on, I, I attempted to induce a hallucination just spontaneously and failed. And it was like, I'm really sorry, you know, to kind of embarrass you in front of the audience. I think I attempted to evoke a nude stripper or something. It was <laughs> fun. And, and other people, you know, did formal hypnotic inductions with them and, and couldn't quite get, you know, the same phenomena. But, but, but people were like attempting to, to, to kind of burst his bubble, you know, the whole amnesia of us having worked with the vision thing. And, and, and a couple of days later, Wayne showed him the tape. Yeah. And first he negatively hallucinated that it was him on, on the tape. And then apparently he, he got stunned and got a headache and ran out of the room and found the whole thing, you know, embarrassing. And, you know, I, I've, I've had some similar experiences to that. And, and how I think that they're different, if, if you take their, their subjective you know, statements as, as valid, yeah. is that, you know, in, in the first case, her amnesia was dependent upon her continuously, deliberately imagining with the suggestions, meaning that had she moved her eyes or, or, or you know, kind of no longer deliberately gone along with the experience, it, it probably would have, you know, snapped. Yeah. But, but, but this guy had a amnesia for, like, like, working on the entire thing that that lasted for days and yeah. when people kind of tried to you know, get him to remember and didn't quite succeed yeah. uh where, where it, it it does not seem as if it's a top-down you know deliberate thing sure. i don't know what, what, what you were thinking is but... sure sure well well um, um for, for me um um for me i, I mean um i'm um, I want to take nothing away from either of these individuals' experiences, first and foremost, because, you know, um, um, whatever their experiences were are, are very personal to them. And, and, you know, absolutely, I respect that. Um, 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 a couple of things, I suppose. Um, um, first of all, uh, um, um, expectation. Um, 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 second of all, I think... Um, um, I think I, th I think this kind of um, way in which people project meaning onto onto experiences sometimes as well in order to to reflect upon it and and, and understand it. Um, um, but for, but 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 for me as well, I think um, what what makes both of these cases cases interesting. But but uh, you know whether whether they're that they're really good explanations of of this being a state or not um, um is is as far as i'm concerned you know um are are those things necessarily representative of of what of what you know hypnosis is um, um so so for example um if 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 the young man had had expected a certain degree of amnesia or or if there was no no particular psychoeducation of 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 what hypnosis is or was. You know, he he he's bringing his own understanding of it to that. Um, I think a lot of what a lot of the time, what I tend to find with with my own students, for example, is when they when they frame hypnosis in a certain way with their clients, their clients respond to to that framework and that understanding. And and if if they don't frame it, then the client has to revert to 
um, whatever understanding they've already got or has been told to them. So, so, so th th there's potentially an element of, of projecting their own meaning onto that and, and if expectations there. I mean, I, I often, um, one of the, one of the, um, the, the, there's a qualification in the UK called the HPD. And one of the questions in there is, um, um, what do you do if a client spontaneously abreacts? And um, uh, for me, I, I you know I, I tend to experience very very few, if any, spontaneous abreactions in my therapy rooms, simply because um, um, you know the expectation is 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 not there for that kind of thing. You know, people don't turn up to my to my sessions expecting that they're going to burst into tears in any shape or form necessarily. Um, um, now, I'm not saying either is right or wrong. I'm just saying that sometimes we, we project meaning in order to, to, to reflect and so on. And, and, and that perhaps, you know, perhaps there's some element of that. Um, um, but at the same time, there's also, um, you know, some, some very interesting points, you know, that, 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 that ought not be ignored as far as these are concerned that show, um, um, you, you know, very, very powerful experiences that people have. Um, um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm really interested by it. Um, it, it, I find it difficult to to explain it without, you know, without having having been there and experienced. But um, I think that potentially projecting meaning, potentially adopting a certain role based upon expectation, could 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 have influenced certain responses. But at the same time, um, um, you know, I. I can't say that for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, it, it's something something else that's also really interesting in terms of uh, got a couple of other things just to throw in, in into yeah. the mix, uh, which I think is really interesting. You know, one one is the um, the the study where where they had hypnotized folks uh, given the instruction to hallucinate color while viewing black and white photographs. Yeah, and where the the, the brain regions uh, used for color processing lighted up in both hemispheres, you know, uh, in, yeah, in the brain scans, um, and where the, the 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 lows who were just imagining it, you know, it it didn't happen. Uh, there, there there's a similar one too with uh, with uh, PET scans where where they they had people hear a recording of the line. The man did not speak often, but when he did, it was worth hearing what he had to say. And they then followed instructions to imagine hearing this line again, or they listened while the hypnotist suggested that the tape was playing once more, yeah. although it was not. And where the result was that an auditory hallucination among the, the you know, highly hypnotizable ones, uh, yeah. the, the, the PET scan revealed that the subject's right interior Singulated cortex was just as active when the subjects were hallucinating as when they were actually hearing the line, and that this did not happen when the subjects were merely imagining uh, the line. Yeah. So, so. No, absolutely. I, I, I hear you with that, and th th this is really important stuff that you're talking about here. You know, but I, I, and I use, um, um. I use the discussion and explanation of um, the, the Stroop test 
Yes. Um, 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 which, whereby, um, for, for people that are not, uh, people that are listening that are not aware, um, the Stroop test is whereby um, you have to respond and name the colour of the words that are up on the screen. And if the, if the word is red, and the colour of the word is is red. It's very easy and quick for someone to to, to hit the button to to say that it's red. Um, um, and as the test goes on, more challenging words come up. So, if for example the colour um, that the, the colour of the word is blue, but the word says red, there's a slight delay because there is a slight conflict within the anterior cingulate. And hypnosis has been shown to be able to create word blindness. Um, um, for example, basic suggestions for, for word blindness, whereby that, that very real objective Stroop effect can be bypassed and inhibited using hypnosis. Um, and, and, and there are some people that have attempted to use that as an explanation for um, hypnosis being a state, yet, um, um, you know, th 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 they, the, the, the argument from a socio-cognitive perspective would perhaps be, you know, it's still the individual that has to do the imagining. It's still the individual that has to invest belief in the process for it to be, you know, that they're, they're not utterly passive to it. Yes. Um, um, is is the point I wanted to make there? Is there is there necessarily though uh, any reason to think that? You know, a a state, if you will, would imply passivity on, on, on the. Well, no. Well, I, I I think sometimes they get they get married up. This idea of non non volition, um, yeah. I I think can perhaps get confused for passivity. So um um you know doing things non volitionally, um um. Um, a socio-cognitive perspective would be that you know if we're going to if we're going to develop. Um, arm levitation, for example, um, we have to engage the imagination, believe believe in that imagined response, um, and 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 believe that it is happening non volitionally. For example, and that that belief, that engagement of the imagination is is fed, and and that degree of expectation and motivation to, for the outcome to happen is central to a socio cognitive perspective, whereas. I suppose that, that that there are some elements of the state theorist that will uh, state theory that would imply that you know the, the the individual really has very little to do with it. That in fact, um, it is the the third part of the the, the hypnotist. Um, it is them you know just responding almost in a mechanical fashion, a sort of cause and effect fashion to the suggestions given by the hypnotist. Um, per, 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 personally, I, I would completely reject that, which 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 I also am pretty sure that, that you know the the, the scientific uh, researchers such as Spiegel, uh, yeah, you know, is 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 very clear that, that that the subject has an active role and yeah and, and and does does not promote the view at all that that this is some you know uh, state or or ability projected. By the hypnotist onto onto to the subject. So I, I, you know, I think you can have a way of thinking about it, which is you know not a do to but a do with process. Yeah. Uh, irrespective of whether you, you know, use a state or trait uh, and or socio cognitive 
explanation. I, I don't think those are kind of mutually exclusive. There. No, 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 no. I, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I think um, I'm, I'm wanting to offer up the sort of more fundamental facet. I, I, the book that you mentioned earlier by um, by Spiegel, Trance and Treatment, um, yes. um, gives that account. You know, and and goes some way to meeting meeting in the middle between extreme state theory you know i'm doing this to you um and and a more you know social cognitive perspective and and there are lots of elements that join in the middle um i i, I you, you know I, I, I and and what's more i think you, you you give that case very well as well um and, and speaking of these things there are also um, um, a couple of points that I'd mentioned um, in in my interview with James about about the about Nicholas Spanos and his cult and skills training program. Yes, um, that is interesting. Um, and and what what I had been saying is that you know certainly it had been part of my work to to give people certain skills and have them practicing certain hypnotic skills, which is central to a social social cognitive perspective whereby and a cognitive behavioral um, conceptualization of hypnosis whereby people practice skills um, um, to, 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 to become and to develop self-efficacy but also to um, um, to, to enhance hypnotizability and um, this is something that um, you know there are a couple of aspects of this that um, that, that you wanted to, to, to just discuss as well Jürgen yeah, you, you know, I've, I've looked into uh, Spanos's Carleton Skills Training Program, uh, and, and I'm a fan of a lot of what Spanos writes. You know, I, yeah. I, I think he has some very useful contributions. Uh, my jury is out whether uh, whether that program really helps people increase their so-called hypnotizability. Uh, and and also whether that you know so-called increase or alleged increase actually paves the way for any like clinical applications. Like for example, sure. I, I wrote something down here from from directly from Spanos. Uh, you know, like here's an exam an example of how Spanos would train his subjects. The suggestion will specifically tell you that your arms is like a hollow balloon being pumped up with helium and that is rising into the air by itself, you must do everything required of someone making believe such a thing. You yeah. must lift your arm up. You must imagine that the arm is ready, really a hollow balloon, and that it's being pumped full of helium rising by itself. You must actually make it seem real, rivet your attention on the hollow arm, the lightless, the fact that it's going on by itself. Don't imagine or pay attention to anything that is unrelated to the make-believe situation. Now. Yeah. In, in in that program, as as far as I can see, there there are three parts. You know, it's it's the uh, you know kind of elimination of misconceptions and alleviating fears, which is you know typical of the way many traditional hypnotists might do a pre-talk. You know, in their yeah. session, you know, yeah, uh, emphasis on becoming imaginatively absorbed into the suggestions giving. You know, this is also rather common, but it's 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 the third piece which I really think is interesting and which separates Spanos from other folks and it's, it's the detailed instructions concerning how to interpret specific suggestions yeah uh, coupled with practicing behavioral response to such suggestions now I don't know about you you know but but I, when I when I've asked people who have had 
you know, what seems to be, you know, profound hypnotic experiences, um, they more often seem surprise or, or don't verbally report that they were actively and deliberately imagining something. Uh, could it could it be as the hypnosis researcher Kenneth Bowers uh, used to write in his critiques of Spanos? Could, could, could it be that he's he's confusing uh, behaving on purpose with achieving a purpose? Um, yeah, interesting point. I know there's a very similar um, criticism that's angled at Barber with with. Barber's some of Barber's motivational suggestions and some of his experiments. People felt um, critics of some of the um, some of the research felt that people almost felt obliged to respond um, yeah. um, as opposed to things happening non volitionally. But certainly, with regards to the the, the interpretation of of you know the, the the suggestions. I mean, well, one of the reasons I'm so fond of that interpretation, which which you've just critiqued there, is the fact that it makes self-hypnosis and self-efficacy um, so central to a social cog social cognitive perspective, which which is a real love of mine. And that is that if people interpret um, um, that something's happened by itself. Um, even if they've kind of moved moved consciously initially, it shows that they're able to to build and develop um, a skill set of their own, which which I realise you know a, a lot of hypnosis professionals may be thinking, well, well, heck, you know, this is this is potentially rendering us impotent or 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 not important in the process, and that's not necessarily the case because we're we're still able to educate and inform and structure sessions for people um but yeah yeah i think um i i agree that, that, that that's a very good argument and and yeah yeah i mean i i i just um um what one of the other things is you know the the, the social element of a socio-cognitive perspective to hypnosis is and um, um, um as, as you mentioned earlier, when you mentioned Sabin, for example, back in the 1950s, Sabin was known as Mr. Roleplay, for example, and, and had a very um, sort of social, uh, a social psychological explanation of hypnosis, which was that, you know, people adopt the role of hypnotized subject, which, yes. which still forms part of the social cognitive perspective, but not quite as exclusive um, um, as as Sabin made it, um, but that is that if someone is then adopting the role, you know, thinking as if they're hypnotized, believing that they're hypnotized, and and responding as if they're hypnotized, you know, really adopting the role of hypnotized subject, then 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 that seems to explain this idea within the Colton Skills program for me, of you know adopt the role and imagine that it's happened you know, non-volitionally, even if you moved it con consciously, to me that just is, is reinforcement of the, the social element, the adopting of the role that forms um, a socio-cognitive perspective of hypnosis. Um, yes. um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I absolutely hear, hear the, the, the critique there and, and I understand it and it's a, you know, it's a very valid point. Um, I'm, 
in in my Kirsch, f- actually, I think Irving Kirsch made a really good point when he said, you know, that that you know they, they didn't like really mean role taking or playing, but it, but it's more role enactment. Yeah, and and that is crucial. I I remember I had a, a and you know kind of like an aha experience uh, of this uh, a few years back when my my wife gave birth to our daughter. Uh, and we were in the hospital, and you know, a, a couple of days later, this nurse came in, who I kind of compared to uh, the Norwegian equivalent of Nurse Ratchet, you know, <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I think she had good intentions. But, you know, she, she, she came in, you know, and and started off with these truisms, you know, you probably had, you know, you're you're both exhausted, you know. This is a new situation for you, you know, you know, yeah. all these truisms that you know you, you couldn't disagree with. And, 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 and then, you know, once she kind of saw that my wife was nodding along, she, she started suggesting stuff like, you know, 80% of her, she said her new mothers were out in the, in the hallways kind of breaking down, you know, having nervous breakdowns after a couple of days. And it was really important to let that happen. Yeah. You know, and, and, and gave these... And and I I actually went up to her later and, and did my best to to attempt to get her to uh, to change her 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 suggestions. Yeah. Uh, where where I thought you know this this is I don't think she's doing this deliberately or, or realizing you know how she's involved. I, I think that's the scary part is that you know I don't know how many mothers would have broken down. You know, after a couple of days in the hallways, I, I I suspect that it wouldn't be near eighty percent. That it's 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 kind of a social psychology expectation where yeah. people and where, where the mothers enact their role as new mothers yeah. as as they understand the role. And part of that role is to have a nervous breakdown and, and <laughs> yeah. you know enact these different suggestions. And and I think the really scary part of that is that neither the mothers nor the nurse probably have any conceptualization that that those social psychology role suggestion factors are part of those breakdowns sure yeah uh, absolutely we're, 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 we're of course here too you know it's 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 i'm i'm not suggesting a you know the nurse caused it you know or directly created it or did it to them. I'm I'm more suggesting a a kind of betweenness factor, saying, look, the nurse matters, uh, the mother matters, and the social contexts and the roles and all that stuff also, you know, matters in terms of how the various members respond. So, yeah. but, I, but I remember this happening at the same time. I had a, a, a kind of debate with a guy called Barry Tane. Don't know if you know about him. Yeah. But he's He's a very kind of strict state state model thing where yeah. he, he, he had this clip where he, uh, you know, led a, a woman who had been his, his patient, obviously, into the room, uh, blindfolded her, sat down, you know, and after a while, you know, her hands started moving voluntarily. Yeah. Where, where, where Barry would say that, you know, this is something that I'm causing and doing to her and she's kind of in a in a special state where, where I argued and think that a socio-cognitive explanation of saying, look, she's been to you in the past. Uh, she has a reference for her hands actually clasping together, you know, in a previous session, that was her reference for hypnosis. 
you know, he's the hypnotist, she's the the patient. It's it's a hypnotic context. Yeah. He sets her down, blindfolds her, and touches her hands very gently and kind of orients them on her lap, which which I think, you know, based upon the context, it's it's a strong nonverbal suggestion that, you know, you know, something's going to happen here and it's going to happen with your hands and i think she enacted the role of the hypnotized subject as she understood the role yeah i think that's a really good explanation very interesting explanation and um, it was really really interesting to me to, to, to kind of have to, to kind of be able to contemplate upon uh you know the the debate and 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 the demo with barry which is a really you know impressive demo yeah and and that hospital experience at the same time where we're, we're, we're in, in the interesting part for me from a socio-cognitive perspective would be that in both the patient's mind and in Barry's mind, this is something he does to her and kind of projects onto her, whereas in the hospital scenario, neither the mother nor the nurse likely have any idea uh, that the nurse's suggestions and, 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 and the roles have anything to do with the nervous breakdown. So sure. yeah, I, I think that you know perhaps it, it, it's highlight of um, the kind of uh, uh, psycho the importance of, of psycho what I refer to as psychoeducation you know what a lot of people talk to talk about is that their pre-talk and things like that whereby um, um, you know ha having things explained and understanding the importance of certain elements of the communication um, um, a, a very important factor. Um, I'm, Jürgen, I could, uh, you know, I, I, I could just continue this for hours and hours, but we're on a we're on a time budget, sadly, uh, and I really want to have you back in the future um, to come and discuss some of the things that we've been discussing privately and so on, because there's, yeah. you know, there's so much um, um, that that listeners would benefit from. Um, my sincere, heartfelt thanks for coming and uh, being involved in this. Um, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Jürgen Rosnussen, thank you. Thank you. That was a thoroughly enjoyable experience for me. Jürgen and I uh, spoke for some time after our discussion. I'm definitely going to be inviting him back in a future episode to discuss some of the other points that we talked about during our own private discussions. Now, um, I'd love to offer up some kind of a fanfare or something, but next up, this week's Hypnosis Fact of the Week. Uh, in the 1840s and 1850s, the history of mesmerism and hypnosis was punctuated by something called odd spelt o-d odd it was created by a man called Karl Reichenbach and he believed it was the energy of life named odic force after the Norse god Odin he claimed it could be affected by electromagnetic fields which he was Considered to be an early explanation of mesmerism and hypnosis, apparently it could be seen by some people like an aura. Yes, and those that know my work well know that that's really my cup of tea. Now, if you have a hypnosis factoid that you'd like to share, such as this week's Nordic flavoured one, you know, I hope you realised the effort that I went to to find a Nordic fact of the week when we had Jürgen on. 
Um, um, but if you've got something that you'd like to share, send it in to me and it may well feature here. And who knows, there may even be prizes for good ones. Now there's some incentive. In our next edition, our next episode, I'll be welcoming head hacking founder Kev Sheldrake, and we'll be talking about hypnosis and suggestibility. And uh, I have what I consider to be a real stellar lineup of guests in future weeks, including James Tripp, Martin S. Taylor, James Brown, Sean Michael Andrews, and many more indeed. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them in the comments section on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure that uh, they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. One more final thanks goes out to Jürgen Rasmussen and my thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason, this has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.